Why do some people oppose the Ten Commandments? Well, if you stop and think about it, some people don't like God. They don't like the idea that there is a God. Uh, they don't like the Bible. Uh, they don't like something telling them that what they're doing isn't right because they feel guilty. So I hope this will help you just a little bit. The Ten Commandments contain the essence of God's moral law. You ever hear people say, well, you can't legislate morality. Or what are you going to legislate? Immorality? Yes, you can legislate morality. All our laws should be moral. They should be right. And so, yes, I believe they can. Which is embedded in man's conscience to give him a sense of justice and realization that he is not perfect and falls short of what he ought to be. 3,500 years ago at Mount Sinai, God gave to Israel through Moses the Ten Commandments. I remember when I was in the Boy Scouts, we always had to memorize the 12 Boy Scout laws. The 13th Scout law was remember the other 12. Yeah, number three on your notes up there. Many people today do not know that the Ten Commandments are a very important part of Scripture. Uh, we talked about Exodus chapter 19 in Sunday school this morning. And uh, we're always talking about the law of God. Believe it or not, every time I witness to somebody, I am referring to the law. Christ did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so we use the law to show people that they're sinners and can't be saved by their works. Nobody's ever been saved by the law, but it does point to Christ. It shows them their need of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. So um, commandments 1 through 4 deal with man's relationship to God. And these are basic and affect all other relationships. See, the most important thing is you'll know that there's two great commandments. And one is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And the second is likened to this, love thy neighbor as thyself. And if we love God the way we should, and we love man the way we should, we wouldn't have to have all these other laws because we would do right by each other. And the more people get away from God, away from the Bible, take away Christianity, take Bible out of the schools, and look what you're going to get. And you're going to have people that will think like an animal, look like an animal, act like an animal. They think like animals. They can't think and reason correctly. And there's people who don't understand the kind of a government that we're supposed to have in this country. They don't really understand freedom. They don't understand the work ethics. And they believe in um, a redistribution of wealth. You work for it. I don't have it. I want some of yours. It's kind of like people that say, you know, he has too much power. What they mean is they want some of it. They may not deserve it, but they want it anyway. But anyway, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods beside me. The Lord, Jehovah, is the only God. There is no other God. The Allah of the uh, Arab religious faith, Islam, isn't God. Their God isn't God. The true God is the God of Israel. He is God. And the true and living God created the heavens and the earth through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He has a Son. They said their God doesn't have a Son. So He must not be God. 
They declare it themselves, but, and there's a lot of religions in this world. But the Lord Jehovah is the only God. He never permits any rivalry, for we are His creation and belong to Him. There is no other God. He is the only God. If you want to read some good scriptures, read the book of Isaiah, and you'll be surprised how many times it talks about, I am God. Beside me, there is no other. I don't know of any. And God says he doesn't know of any other God. Well, if he doesn't know of any, how can you? How can I? There is no other God. Now, you might make something into a God, and the Satan is called the prince of the world, the God of this world, but he's not a God in the sense that he is the almighty God. There's only one true and living God that created all. Number one, some imagine there are other gods and worship cows, other animals, or a particular river or tree. I was over in India, and there's people that worship all kinds of things. They could have a million gods, even Hinduism. You see, there's all kinds of religions, man-made things, because they don't know the truth. If you know the truth, truth sets you free from all the religions of man. But most people don't understand it. Number two, some worship the earth. Others look to the stars or to the horoscope for guidance. When you think about the world in which we live, there are people who worship this earth. They even call it Earth Day and Mother Earth, as though the earth is my mother. You've heard of Mother Nature, haven't you? Well, we have been cursed by Father Time. But there's Mother Nature, and Mother Nature is an evolutionary concept. Humanism. And you and I are not to believe that. Neither are we supposed to go to the horoscope. God took a man named Saul home because he checked with his horoscope. By the way, you know what you call a, a midget fortune teller that ran away from prison? He's known as a small, medium, at large. Some of y'all will get that after a while. But number four, a few worship the mind. It's called humanism. They worship man. Man is his own God. He is God. And so there's people that even teach that God used to be a man. That Adam is now God. Mormonism teaches that. It's a terrible religion. It's not Bible. Mormonism is not a Christian faith. And you might think it is. It is not. It is a cult. It means it has an extra biblical source of authority and leadership that's contrary to the book. Number four, many worship many things like money because money can buy cars and boats and clothes and bank accounts and positions, entertainment, popularity and accomplishments, all these things. And some people worship these things or people who have those things. Some people worship people in sports and all that. You can enjoy a lot of things, but don't make any of these things a God. So that was the first commandment. The second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. God is a spirit. Therefore, it is blasphemous to seek to confine him to objects or things by bowing or praying to statutes and images and crucifixes. You see, 
We believe in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe in, and I don't even like the cross that has Jesus still hanging on the cross. I got news for you. He isn't hanging on a cross. That was, if he had died on a, in an electric chair, you'd be wearing an electric chair with him still sitting in it. I don't believe that. Jesus died on a cross. It was a cursed thing, and he was buried and came back from the dead. So the old rugged cross ought to be a precious thing to him, but we don't worship no cross. We don't worship a cross. And if you want to wear it around your neck and what it means to you, that's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when things become a, a god to you. There are people who make statues out of a lot of different kinds of metals and gold or silver and wood. And then they bow to it. And uh, I've even seen people that will get down and, and kiss a man's toe. As though he's got something special about it. It's just like mistletoe. It's a foot disease. Well, that's what I thought it was. But you're not to bow down to any man and you're not to bow to worship any kind of idols. Now, there's some scripture that simply says these same things, but tells you why. Psalms 115 and verse 4 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. That's what they are. Men made them. In verse 5, it says, They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. And in verse 6, it says, They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not feet. They have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. Verse 8, they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. So there's things you and I are not to trust in. We're not to do that. Are there religions that have these things? Yes. And buddy, don't you touch them either. And they don't like it when you say things against those things either. But the Bible says they're not real. And they have no power. And all it does is capture a man's mind and diverts the worship that God deserves to a piece of junk. All because somebody made it and they try to make it into something, you know. Well, that's not what God wants us to have or wants us to do. The third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, there's several ways you can take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. See, I, I've never sworn a cuss word. I've never taken God's name and used it in a vain way like that. I've heard a lot of people that have, and they do, and I've rebuked a few over the years. But you and I, as a child of God can also bear his name in vain. You as a Christian, because of who you are and what you are, the way you're supposed to live, you can bring shame to his name. And you can profane his name by the things that you say and do, the way you live, and in falling in love with the things of this world and making things of this world an idol unto you. Where you live for money, you live for job, you live for people, you, but you don't live for the Lord. And that's like being a child of God in this world, and God has bestowed His grace upon us, and it's in vain because we're not living for Him. So there's a lot of ways in which you could violate this command. Number one, God is holy. 
Therefore, reverence must characterize all speech using his name. The words in vain means idle, nothing meant by it, or irreverence. Some vent their frustration or anger by using God's name, then defend it by saying, Oh, I didn't mean anything by it. Uh, that is the purpose of this command. Did you know that God says, I will bring every idle word into judgment? Every idle word. Some people don't think it's bad. Now, some people, they don't maybe use the so-called curse words that the world uses. They have Christian curse words. And they mean the same thing by it. And they will use the words, but it's a different word, but it means the same thing as what they will use. I won't even give you an example because I don't even want to put it in your mind. You know what it is. You know what they are. And you can do that. You can get mad and bitter and say things that you know is not right, and you mean the same thing as a man who uses profanity, but you won't use those same words that they may use, but you think it, and you'll say it. I told somebody one day, I says, I have never sworn a cuss word, but there has been times when if you will write it on a piece of paper, I might sign it. But anyway, number three, God's name should only be spoken or written in a meaningful, respectful manner. The Lord's example of prayer being our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's a name that ought to be respected. You and I ought to respect the name of God, Jehovah, our Father, because of who He is and what He's done for us. Now, these are things that um, talks about our relationship to the Lord. The other one was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It means that God intended to have a day where man could rest because he even refers to the creation of the world. And six days he created the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day because man needs a day of rest. Now, this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that you don't find mentioned in the New Testament for us to keep. All these other things are in there, and believe it or not, the things we're supposed to do, we're still supposed to do. The things we're not supposed to do, we're still not supposed to do. Does it say, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery? So those are things in there that says, mortify the deeds of the flesh. What he's talking about is the same thing that's mentioned right here in the commandments. But we don't have to honor this particular day. And when it talks about keeping the Sabbath was not a day of worship, keeping the Sabbath was not a day of work. So we, we worship on that day by not working. But I do believe that it's good for a person to have some downtime, some rest time. And you should learn how to discipline yourself and learn what you need to do to discipline your body. Because otherwise, you'll just keep on until you burn yourself down, and then you're going to have other consequences. So learn to take care of yourself so that you can live to a ripe old age, Lord willing. We all would like that, maybe. As long as we're in good health, right? One day we'll go through the book of Daniel, and we'll get to the, the diet that Daniel had. Not right now, but down the road, if the Lord should tarry. But there are some good things in the Word of God about how we should take care of ourselves and all. But this commandment begins with remember, for after God created all things, He rested on the seventh day. Ancient people no doubt knew that the seventh day was to be holy. Israel also knew that manna did not appear on the seventh day. God gave them twice as much on the day before 
And so if they tried to keep any over that they weren't supposed to, it would rotten on them. And yet they could do it on a Friday and get twice as much and it would keep. Isn't that amazing? God does that. And he says that that was a type in the Old Testament of bread coming down from heaven. But in John chapter 6, doesn't it tell us that Jesus made the statement, I am the true bread. And uh, Bethlehem was the house of bread. So in Bethlehem, the Bible says that God made a loaf of bread. And he was the bread that would feed the world. And that's found in the book of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 where it says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall he come forth that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old to everlasting. The one that's going to be born in Bethlehem never had a beginning and never has an ending. He is from one end to the other. There is no beginning and there is no end. Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh and he was the bread that came down from heaven. And he says, he that eats this bread shall never hunger. You and I know and understand that that is a type of the manna in the Old Testament that God miraculously gave. But he gave him this story. He says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are what? Dead. But if you eat this bread, you will not die. You will live forever. You'll have eternal life and this is the bread that we're told is Jesus Christ. So he is the bread of life. And um, number three, at Sinai, God commanded Israel to keep the Sabbath day holy by resting from unnecessary work. The fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Why? So that they won't take you to the gate and have you stoned for your rebellion. That's in the Hebrew. Wasn't it wonderful But back in those days that all the families stood together and all the tribes believed the same thing and carried out the same judgment? And God says, this is not going to be tolerated. That will not be tolerated. And this here wickedness or this abomination shall not be in the nation of Israel. And if a person does it, did you know that you had the right to take your rebellious, drunken son to the gates and they could judge and then have him stoned to death? You know, after you saw a couple teenagers stoned to death, you know, you might just straighten up and fly right. There's some things that God says. Well, now, I'm almost glad we don't live in that day under that law. <laughs> Who knows what will happen? Uh, most of the people in America, if they did that today, would all be executed. Honor thy father and thy mother, which, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Our first relationship is with our parents. To honor means the child obeying his parents with a respectful attitude. This is the will of God. And there's a God in heaven that knows when children are rebellious. Parents are supposed to teach and educate their children and try the best they can. Sometimes we do a good job, sometimes we don't. Sometimes in a family you could have one that obeys and one doesn't disobey. And you say, what will I do wrong with this one? Adam and Eve had the same thing happen in their family, didn't they? I mean, one was obedient, one was disobedient. One killed the other one. The first family. Well, they couldn't say, well, it was the environment. I don't know if they could say it was the crowd, you know, the, the peer pressure, <laughs> global warming. 
But anyway, number two, when a child grows up and does not obey his parents, he usually has problems with others and especially those in authority. Children that rebel against their parents as authority usually will rebel against all other authority. Any child or teenager that rebels against his parents is a poor risk for marriage. If that daughter is rebellious to her mother and dad, chances are she'll be rebellious to the man she marries. And so, therefore, they will be rebellious to God because, see, one of the first things children will learn, obey your mom and dad. Obey your mom and dad. But does mom and dad, should they obey the Lord? It's easier for the children to obey those that obey. Those that obey. Those that obey. So, adults are to continue to honor their parents by showing respect and concern for their welfare. So as mom and dad got older, most times in Bible days, the kids took care of the parents. That was their social security. And you raised your kids right, and back in some of those days, <laughs> they used to have large families. And wouldn't it be neat if everybody had about 10 kids to take care of them so when you got old, you know, you didn't have to worry about it. You could stay with this one for a month, that one for a month, that one for a month, that one for a month. I told my son up there, I said, get that downstairs fixed up real good for me. Because I said, Mom, Mom, we might wind up having to come and live with y'all. <laughs> told my daughter the same thing. She says, you just come right on over here. I got a room for you. And um, I had a, a preacher friend of mine that up here in Minnesota, they had a, a little parsonage out by the church. And so they had built them a nice church. And they said, now, when you retire, this is yours. You can come up here and you can stay right here. And you can, you can stay as long as you want. won't cost you anything. You can just retire and study and write and all that. And back then, I used to think, when I retire, when I retire. You know, they said that to me almost 40 years ago. And I still haven't retired yet. But they got him a new preacher not long ago. And he didn't like the parsonage. So they bulldozed it down, and they put in a double wide. He's no longer the pastor there, so he took his double wide, and my retirement home is gone. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm telling you the truth. So you never know how things are going to work down the road. I'm never going to get to retire. But, you know, it, it is good. Kids should take and see that their mom and dad are taken care of when they get old. And sometimes you may have to, you may have to put them in a nursing home, whatever you have to do, but you ought to see that they are taken care of. And you ought not to forget them. Don't, don't, don't lock mom and dad away or some grandparent, and then you never see them. Never, don't do that to them. Pretend like that person was you. How would you like to be treated? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so love and respect each other it is such an important thing. This command includes a promise that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You know, the Lord says if you do certain things that he would watch over and bless and take care and heal, protect. And he says, and none of the diseases of the Egyptians will I put upon you. See, God allows a lot of things to happen because of our rebellion. And we're facing that in our country. And... It is repeated in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, Honor thy father and mother, 
that it may be well with thee. I don't think God likes it when children are disrespectful to their parents. Children should never talk back to their parents or sass their parents or be rebellious to their parents. When mama says do something, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. Daddy says do this, do that. yes sir, yes sir. And you should only have to tell them one time. My dad was not a godly man. But when he told me something, one time I did it. Because I knew the consequences. <laughs> but I do believe that it's a right thing to do. And those points, I did honor my mother and my father. Even though they weren't saved and they weren't godly individuals, but that was my mom and that was my dad. God says this promise includes things going well for them in life. So it's an important thing. Thou shalt not kill. This short command teaches the sanctity of human life. Because man was created in God's image, every human soul has worth or value. Therefore, to despise another person's worth or to call him a person of no value or to be angry with him without a cause are seeds that spring up in the heart that can lead to murder. The deliberate, premeditated taking of another person's life. It is wrong. And I do not believe that abortion is right. I believe that abortion is murder. It's the taking of an innocent life. The safest place in the world should be a mother's womb. And yet it's the most dangerous place in the world. It's not Afghanistan and it's not over in Pakistan. It's not Iraq. It's in a mother's womb. Today, most of those babies in a mother's womb aren't born. They're murdered. People say, well, you know, this is a bad time for people to be having children because of the economy and how bad everything is. Jesus was born at a bad time. Moses was born at a bad time. I was born at a bad time. My parents were just coming out of the Depression. They didn't have anything. My dad had to make moonshine to keep body and soul together. They did whatever they could. He made counterfeit money. Not a joke. That's what he did. He made counterfeit quarters. He was hitchhiking. A young couple picked him up. He was in North Florida. And he was showing them his brand new quarters he had just made. He was drunk. They took him straight to the police station. He spent more time in jail. But my dad dug wells. Mind me of Jacob's well. They dug wells. That's what my daddy did. I used to stand at the edge of the well, and I watched my daddy down there digging. And uh, he was crippled in his right foot. His right foot went straight to the right. He had polio when he was a babe. And so you listen, and you watch, and you learn, and see all these things, and you realize that um, God has laid down some laws. We're to respect life, and we're not to deliberately take the life of anyone else. Did you know, according to the law, Thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not kill. And then Jesus comes along in Matthew, and he says, But I say unto you, if you just think it. Or, if you hate. See, he's going down to the motive of why you do what you do. What causes the crime out there is because of how a man thinks. And he doesn't have the control of his physical mind, his body. And therefore, he lets emotions run wild, and he says and does things that he shouldn't do. Israel law was he that smiteth a man, so that he die, 
shall be surely put to death. Execution. I don't mind it if they get back to a public hanging or public execution where people can see what happens to a person who violates God's law or the laws of society that demand the death penalty. People say, you mean you're a Christian and you're for the death penalty? I am a Christian, and yes, I am for the death penalty. If a person has committed premeditated murder, it is wrong, and therefore it should be done. Israel's law commanded capital punishment, and history proves it to be a strong deterrent to murder because it's a sense they won't do it again. Number three, when someone accidentally or unintentionally, unintentionally kills another person, that's manslaughter. And to kill someone in self-defense or in defense of other people, such as war, is not murder. The Old Testament relates many wars that Israel fought to protect the nations from enemies. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. This commandment emphasizes the sanctity of marriage and the home. Adultery is always a terrible homebreaker. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul, because there's a price to pay in what it does to him. I preached a sermon one time from that portion of Scripture uh, that talks about seven things that happens to a man when his wife commits adultery. And um, I might preach that one of these days, but it's not a good, healthy subject that you like to preach on. Believe it or not, I don't like to talk on things like that. I would rather just talk on the love of God. But you've got to preach on these other things too. It's called the whole counsel of God. You're supposed to preach on whatever's in the Word of God. And all this is in the Word of God. Everything I'm telling you tonight, is it in the Bible? It is in the Bible, and I will do my dead level best not to put a spin on it or twist it in any way, but let it speak and say what it does say. So, number two, Jesus said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So Jesus goes even further than that. He's talking about the motive, how the man thinks. And you're talking about if the law didn't condemn you because, you well, well, I didn't do that, and I didn't commit murder. Yes, but have you ever thought about murdering somebody? You ever hated somebody enough that if you could have got away with it, what would you have done? The husband says, I ain't going to sleep tonight. <laughs> By this, Jesus said, adultery can begin when the eye stimulates the desire, the flesh. Proverbs 7.10 says, speaks of the attire of a harlot, means the appearance. And that's why a person has to be very, very careful. Some people say that this doesn't matter how a person dresses. It wasn't long ago before they had something right here in the streets of Tampa, Florida, and a bunch of women out there, and they were trying to show that we can dress any way we want, and a man's not supposed to get excited and so forth like that. Listen. A Rottweiler is a Rottweiler. And if you hang a piece of steak in front of a Rottweiler, Rottweiler, don't be surprised if he tries to take it out of your hand. you got to understand, and women, and you listen to me, women, and don't you disagree with me. I'm a man. I'll tell you. You can't put on nothing and expect a man not to look or to think things he ought not do. 
you are not supposed to dress in such a way as to stimulate a man's appetite towards sex in a purposeful way. It's one thing when you are attracted because you're simply an attractive woman, but you can be attractive with all your clothes on. I don't believe that you have to show all the parts of your body. And I believe that you need to be careful on how you dress. I don't like it when I see women showing all their cleavage. You say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Maybe you don't, but then you're not the man. And if a man will be honest, he'll tell you. And most of them will tell you the truth. It's not good. It's not wholesome. It's not the best. So I believe that um, you need to be careful concerning this. Many young girls or innocent women do not realize that immodest attire, such as suggestive, revealing, provocative, or vulgar clothing, can tempt the opposite set to adultery, sexual improprieties, or even rape. You say, well, they're not supposed to. Maybe they're not supposed to, but you don't understand the nature of a man because that's how he thinks and that's what he wants. Remember, a man will give love in order to get sex. Generally, a woman will give sex in order to get love. A man is stimulated by what he sees in a woman by the touch. If you understand the simple things of human nature, it can help you tremendously. For example, I used to have people that really got up tight with me because I made statements like, if I'm driving down the highway and I see a woman from the church on the side of the road, would I pick her up? And I told them, no, I would not pick her up. And they said, well, I can't believe that you would do a thing like that. Well, I know several people that might have had to drop out of a presidential race for the simple reason they violated that simple little thing of being in the presence of people they shouldn't have been in when they shouldn't have and didn't have to. So, yeah, I'd rather have people say whatever they want to say about me being too picky. But I don't trust me. You ought not trust you. You ought not trust you in the presence of a young, beautiful woman behind locked doors. My door will always be unlocked. Most time it'll be cracked if I talk to somebody. Because I do not want anybody being able to say anything against that woman or this preacher. And I've wanted to try to guard my testimony for all these years. And so I can lose it very quickly just because of what somebody says. It don't have to even be true. You can ask a few people about that if it's not proven or not. You don't know. But I'm saying you need to watch yourself and guard your testimony at all times. Now, Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. Emphasize the sanctity of personal property. Stealing is wrong, whether it be cheating on a test, taking credit for something you did not do, or the many other ways people steal. Let him that stole, steal. No more let him leave it with his hands. I just read that wrong. Let him that stole, steal no more. See, God says, yeah, you've lied, you steal, you do all these things, but put away all these things. Put off the old man, put on the new man. You and I are supposed to live like godly people, holy people. And so that means that we have to watch our testimony in all areas at all times. You see, God did not do away with the law. 
It was never given to save a man. It was only given to serve a purpose that we can't save ourselves by our works. But now that you are saved, we ought not live in the flesh after the flesh. The ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, emphasizes the sanctity of another person's reputation. Number one, God commands us to speak the truth in all matters. To bear false witness is more inclusive than lying. For bearing false witness includes various types of deception, whether without words being spoken. Therefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. You do not want to try to tear down another person's reputation or character by saying things that are not true. You've got to be wise in what you do. And I just spoke about this this morning at Anais and Sapphira. Lied about money they gave to the church. When asked separately about the amount, they each lied. That day Ananias dropped dead, and later his wife. The church quickly learned that God judges those who lie. The Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet, emphasizes the sanctity of the human heart for God. You see, God wants us to desire Him more than anything else in the world. So, desire the things of God. Set your affections on the things that are above don't fall in love with the things of the world because it comes and it goes and it can eat up your time. God says he's given us all things freely to enjoy, but not to make a God and not to worship. God wants our hearts to be contented and satisfied with him. When we want anything so badly that it disturbs our inner peace, we violate the command, thou shalt not covet. When considering coveting to be merely wanting something or someone that belongs to a friend or neighbor, but it could be an item in a store, a catalog, or internet, where the owner is unknown or far off. Jesus says, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists of not in the abundance of things which he possesses. The way to victory over coveting is to let God control what we want. Want what God wants you to have. Be what God wants you to be. Do what God wants you to do, and it'll save you an awful lot of trouble in life. And your health that you have, your mental stamina that you'll have, will be so greatly enhanced by the joy of the Lord is your strength. And a lot of people don't have the strength to go on. And there's joy in doing what God wants you to have. The Ten Commandments reveal God's perfect character and man's faulty character. By the time you get through studying the law, you'll see how holy God is, the righteousness He demands, and how faulty we are, how short we have come. They convince us that we are all sinners, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law brings convictions to the soul and creates a need to be forgiven. For that reason, some people oppose the Ten Commandments being posted on the walls or engraven in public places. Why? Because the Ten Commandments makes a person painfully aware of his failure to be what he ought to be. And therefore, he senses in his heart a deep need that he cannot meet. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law was never given to save a man. It doesn't justify a man. Can't make a man righteous. It doesn't give you anything. It can only condemn. Cursed is the man who continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, you have to continue to do all the things that the law commands perfectly, righteously, all your life, 
so that it will not condemn you, and nobody qualifies. In past years, a schoolmaster was a servant who accompanied a child to school and left him there to be taught. In the same way, the law is to bring us to Christ, the only one who can forgive and save our souls. No one is saved by keeping the law or by doing good works. The Ten Commandments has never rescued a perishing soul nor start a person on the road to heaven, but they hold up a standard of perfection for us to measure ourselves by. And when the person sees himself guilty before a holy God and hears that Christ paid for his sins at Calvary, he is often ready to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior for forgiveness and an eternal home in heaven. Jesus summarized the last five commandments as thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All of those deal with your neighbor. When it says love the Lord thy God, verse 4, love thy neighbor as thy it deals with the neighbor, the last. The Apostle Paul wrote, New Testament believers, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. There be any other commandment is briefly comprehended in this, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So it's very simple and very clear. The commandments of God are righteous, perfect, just, holy, as Romans says, spiritual. But man is not. And it reveals the fault of man, the disobedience of man, and how short we come of God's perfection. That's why the law points us to Christ, because we need a Savior. This hand representing you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. And the way we have this sin revealed to us is because the law reveals the sin. It reveals our transgression. But God loves us, and he hates what we do wrong, and it's eternal separation from the Lord. So God says to go to heaven, you have to be perfect as righteous as God, and therefore by the law we are all condemned and we're all guilty. And no man can save himself. We've all come short of God's perfection. God says you cannot save yourself by the things that you say or do. You need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The law points man to Christ. Christ had no sin. The law could not condemn him. So he did not have to die. So he took all of our sins because he loved us. He took all the sin of all the world upon himself. And the Bible says that he fell under the wrath of God. And the law condemned him because he had our sins. He died for us in our place and came back from the dead because the grave could not hold him. And Jesus Christ come back from the dead and said that if you and I, if we would simply believe that what he did was for us, he would put the payment to our account and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you right now to do just that. To admit to God that you are a sinner. God loves you. But you and I are sinners. We have broken God's law. We have not kept it. We have not loved God the way we should. And we have not loved our neighbor as we should. We have failed on both accounts. And because of that, we are under a penalty. The penalty of eternal separation from God. And God said that if you or I would accept the payment Christ made on the cross for us, we could go free 
not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. But the only hope that you and I have is to believe that when Christ died, he did it for us. I've already taken care of that 51 years ago. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him right now as your only hope of going to heaven? If you will, God will save you right now and give you the free gift of everlasting life. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We're thankful for the word that you've given us. We pray that we would look to you and walk with you and and love you as we should. And help us to love each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.